Well, good morning again, Hope family. We are glad that you have joined us this morning. Uh, if this is your first time or it, you've just been here a couple times, uh, a special welcome to you. And we would love to meet you if we haven't done so already. Out those doors, there is a welcome center. We have a gift for you. We would love to be able to talk with you and uh, give you that gift and see how we can be praying uh, for you. So uh, again, meet us back there. We would love to do that after this service. At the beginning of the service, I got up here and I, I shared a few things about how you can be connected to uh, the whole body, how you can be connected to God's word, and really put yourself in a position for the spirit of God to work in you and to change you this year. I w- wanted to come back up here and highlight one more way that you can be doing that, and that is through prayer. Some conversations that we've had as a staff and then with some of uh, the deacons and some other leaders in our church, I feel like God has laid on several of our hearts to put this in front of you, our church body, to really commit to prayer this year. And so we're going to, there's several ways that you can do this with us. Um, We, every month, we have a verse of the month. uh, And this month, it is that we will walk by faith and not by sight. A great verse to head into the new year with. But what we're going to do next, this week when you get uh, the hope notes or next week when you come in on the Sunday post, along with that verse of the month, there will be a prayer prompt, Uh, just an invitation for you to pray in a certain way. It will be tied to that verse, and you can just spend the week uh, praying that, taking that before God and allowing the Spirit to to move in you. We feel like prayer matters. Prayer works all throughout Scripture. We are called to come to God with prayer. And so we want to make a concerted effort to do that together as a body. And so that is one way that we are doing that, having one way that we can all be praying the same way together. As many of you know, we also have a hope prayer list where if you have a a special need that you would like the church body to pray with, then you can email that to Hap Cunningham, who's over there. Uh, You can see him afterwards. Um, You can send him your prayer request, and then he sends them out to those who have signed up to receive those prayer lists. So maybe that's a way that you can step into prayers. Partner with us by praying together as a body and receiving those prayer requests. If you haven't taken that step, but you think that's something you would want to do, that something God has laid on your heart, then see happen. We would love for you to partner with us in that way. We have some other ways as well that we are looking forward to. Uh, You guys remember 2020? Remember that year? Uh, Things are still a little weird, and so with the COVID stuff, we're trying to figure out, but we would love to have in-person prayer meetings, maybe once a month or quarterly throughout the year that we could get together as a body and we could pray together. Uh, And so we would love to see that we're we're praying for that. We're moving towards that in faith that God will provide a way for us. But just wanted to, to put that in front of you, and you can be thinking about that. Let the Spirit lead in you and how you can partner with us in prayer this year. You guys, whenever Mark or someone introduces me, you clap for me. I'm going to introduce Mark Ott to you. Uh, Well, let's give him a big round of applause. All right. I know you don't really mean it, so it's fine. Uh, And don't forget about the prayer wall, too, guys. Uh, Just as Dave was talking, just reminding myself, uh, there's prayer requests out there as well as prayers you can take. So uh, we are going to be a praying church this year. All right, we're going to be a little extra today. We're going to call it bonus time so you feel good about it, right? Like a little 20% more. No, we're going to be a little late today just because we had a little more in the service, and I feel like it was a renewing time for us so far. Uh, but we're going to go to Exodus 32. So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. We have skipped in our story a good little chunk 
of the book of Exodus here. Last time we were together in Exodus, we were in chapter 20. Now we're in chapter 32. So 21 to 31 uh, is, a, is a part of the book of Exodus where Moses is on the mountain talking to God, and there are a little bit of narrative in there, but most of it is God telling Moses about the tabernacle, about uh, worship methodologies and things like that. And so we come to this story today, Exodus chapter 32. First Sunday of the new year, we get into a new year, you don't usually look back. New years are about looking forward, about hope, about you know excitement, blank page, and all that kind of stuff. But I bet you if you look back to 2020, or any year, you could see some battles that you faced in your life, some battles that you had to fight, some battles that maybe took some, some toll on you, took some things out of you. I want to talk today about one of the battle lines I guarantee that you are going to face in the new year. That is a battle that all of us are very familiar with. It is a battle with fear. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your personality is. I know this year will be a year where you have to battle fear. We all live with it. We all fight it in our own ways. Your, your variety might be different than mine. Your approach might be different than mine. But I guarantee you're going to have to face fear in the coming year. And I guarantee you this too, spiritually. The enemy of your soul, the enemy of the cause of Christ, wants to use fear in the coming days to push you. And he's really good at it. He wants to push you towards what is destructive, what is unhealthy, what is enslaving in your life. Sounds like a fun year, huh? Fear comes at us all the time in a thousand different ways. Fear of missed opportunities. What if I don't get to this chance again? Fear of consequences. What's going to happen because of the choices that I make? Fear of shame, fear of guilt, fear of failure, fear of embarrassment. Fear of making the wrong choice. Fear of being alone. Fear of being left out. Fear of change. Every different direction. This is something that comes at you. And we live in a world that literally stews us in fear all the time. Like you've sat in the soup of fear all year long. Do you know why I know that? Because fear is the way that the world motivates you. It is one of the most powerful things that the world does and the world chooses to do to try to get you to do what they think you should do. People use it all the time. We just came out of a political year. We're still kind of in a political year, I guess. But political campaigns are largely driven by trying to get you to be afraid of something so you will vote in agreement with what they want you to vote with. And we've listened to it all year long, commercial after commercial. Churches often uh, deal in fear, traffic in fear. We want people to keep coming. We want people to give. We want people to live right. We want them to avoid the bad things and do the good things. And so you better watch out because if you don't, fear as a motivator. News broadcasts use fear to get you to watch. Find out what's lurking in your lettuce, you know. <laughs> Look at what we expose behind the scenes in this political office and Fear to tune in. Advertisers use fear to get you to buy something. How many sales have you heard about don't miss out, limited time, time is running out, get it now. It's fear. 
Now, I'm not saying, and please do not get the impression that fear in and of itself is evil. Fear is not a moral thing. Fear is a normal, human, healthy response to the uncertainties of life. We don't know what's coming, and some of the unknowns can be very dangerous. But fear is not something to be avoided. The problem is, fear wants to drive. It wants the steering wheel. It wants to make decisions for you. And when fear begins to make your decisions, you get warped. Down to your very soul, fear warps you. And I would say it has warped us and continues to warp us. In the body of Christ, I believe we have been warped by fear. Maybe with well-intentioned, maybe with, with the ideas of, of good ideals, but we have been warped by fear. And we have no reason to be. We serve one who is greater than anything you fear. But our attention has been directed towards what we don't want and what there is to be scared of. And we've taken it all in. And when we take it in and we put it in the driving seat, our way of seeing the world, the way of seeing the life, we become warped by fear. This is how much. Think about the most annoying person you know. Not me, somebody else. Think about somebody really, really annoying. What if they are so annoying because they are warped by fear? What if whatever it is that just gets on your nerves all the time is really just them acting out because they've been in pattern, they've been stewing in fear? And this is how they're coping. This is how they're handling it. Maybe the parts of you that you dislike so much, are you being warped by fear? You have kept responding to it. You have felt overwhelmed. You have felt crushed down by it. You have felt like you have to solve all kinds of problems because you're afraid if you don't, life is going to come crashing down on you. We're going to see a story today, and it's really short. It's only six verses. We're going to see a short story today in, in Exodus 32 that is really hard to fathom until you recognize how fear warps us. And then it's like, oh, makes total sense. I've done the same thing. But when you read it from afar, you're like, how could they do that? We're reading a story, and we're going through the book of Exodus about the children of Israel. They have been delivered from Egypt with miracles and plagues, but uh, the, the greatest army of, of their time drowned in a sea that parted so they could walk across on dry land. I mean, this is crazy stuff, right? They have defeated uh, an army that ha they had no right to defeat, uh, an army of experienced warriors against inexperienced slaves, and that army had attacked them, and improbably they win. And Scripture ties it to Moses' hands being lifted up which is nuts. They have been very aware of the presence and the power of God. Every morning they get up and they drink water that God provided for them from a rock, miraculously. Every morning they get up and they go out and gather food that God provided for them free of charge in the barren desert, manna on the ground. Every single day they experience God's provision and God's presence. And now they're at the base of Mount Sinai and the mountain is thundering in clouds, and they've heard God's voice give them the Ten Commandments. Now, I know for you, if you're like me at all, there are times in my life where I'm like, I wish God would just be clear. Has God been clear with Israel? 
Wouldn't you love to have had that kind of experience where you could say, I saw him. He led us. I saw the plagues. I saw the water part. I, I am so sure about God that I don't ever have to doubt again. And yet, they are about to do something that doesn't fit with anything that they've seen with anything that they've experienced, it makes no sense until you recognize the impact that fear has on us and how fear makes us do ridiculous things. Is this anybody else or just me? I could tell you a story or stories about how fear has made me do ridiculous things, but then I would just be overriding your own stories, and your stories are probably better than mine, right? Fear causes us to do what makes no sense. This month's verse, and actually our first core value as a church, is we walk by faith, not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. That sounds great until you have to do it, right? Oh yes, walk by faith and not by sight. But when I don't see and I don't understand and it feels like the world is going to fall apart and I'm in danger of pain or struggle or hardship... How do I walk by faith and not sight? I don't know how to do that. All that's in my eyes, all that's in my ears, all that's in my soul, this fear is just overwhelming me. We know as people of faith that faith is what we need. It is our lifeblood spiritually. And we know, because we've experienced it, that faith grows when we don't see, but we still believe. So we know that there is good to believing when we don't see. And we know that when our faith grows, so does our opportunity to have God's strength and life and hope and peace poured out in us. We become people who are sustained in the hardest moments of life when we have faith. But every time those hard moments come, it's not just an opportunity for our faith to grow. It's also an opportunity for us to surrender to fear. And I'm saying, people of God, this is a battle we had better fight this year. I don't know that we did a great job last year. I don't know that, that we even saw it coming. But I will tell you, we are far too comfortable with responding to fear instead of living by faith. So let's look. Exodus chapter 32. Let's see the story. Just start with me, verse 1. It says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Here they are, base of the mountain, looking up, seeing the thundering of God, and they say, let's go make some new gods. I don't know how well you remember what we talked about in Exodus 20, but the last thing God said to them was, and remember... He gave him the Ten Commandments, then he came back and said, and remember, don't make gods of gold or silver. Just so you know. So the last thing they heard from God is the first thing that they say, yeah, let's flush that. Exactly what God told them not to do, exactly what they heard God tell them not to do, is what they suggest. And the language here about them coming to Aaron suggests that they were aggressive in it. Kind of like this mob saying, Aaron, this is what you're going to do. I know you're in charge, Aaron, but here's what you're going to do for us. Why are they doing this? They're afraid. They don't know 
what's coming. And then they say, as for this fellow Moses. Now, there, we could get into a lot of technical Hebrew stuff, but I don't need to. If, is anyone here fluent in sarcasm? Okay, so then you can help us. That's exactly what this is. Like this fellow Moses, you know, I, he was good and all. I guess he was nice. He was fine. He led us out of Egypt. I guess that was pretty nice. But now we don't know what happened to him. We don't know what his deal is. We don't know when he's coming down. We're not even sure he's still alive. Israel is freaking out because they don't know. Unknowns cause us to not react very well. It did for Israel. It does for us as well. Moses has been with the children of Israel every day in this story up till now. This is his first time being away from them. And now we find out that he's been up on the mountain for about 40 days. A couple few chapters ago, we kind of found out that he was up on the mountain for 40 days. We don't know that, that, that God ever told the children of Israel how long Moses would be gone, when to expect him back. So he just walked up into the cloud. Israel's like, yeah, go Moses. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then 40 days later is where we pick them up, coming to Aaron saying, hey, let's make idols. It was kind of like God had not talked to them for a month. Ever been in one of those seasons where it feels like God's not talking to you? This is a season where all of the children of Israel, they had said, Moses, please tell God not to talk to us anymore. I mean, when he gave us those Ten Commands, we didn't like that. Please, just you talk to us. God can talk to you, then you can talk to us. That's the way we want it. Now Moses is gone for 40 days up on the mountain. So it's like they've been without instruction. They've been without encouragement. They've been without the visible presence of Moses, and they don't know what to do. And panic begins to set in. And you can imagine, because we're all very familiar with this, this context, this culture of fear, how these discussions grow day after day. Hey, have you heard anything about Moses? No. How long has it been? It's been two weeks. Yeah. Well, that's kind of crazy. Does anybody know? Is he coming down sometime soon? What happened to him? I mean, how long can you last up on a mountain? I don't know. And probably one of those thunderbolts. I think he's dead. What do you think? I think he might be dead too. I'm, you can just feel the discussions growing because of the unknown bringing us to fear. You know what? We'd be better off to have gods we could just take. When, when we want to get out of here, we could just have some gods we could take with us. That would be good. That's a good idea. You know what? That's what we had back in Egypt. That's a great idea. Fear begins to mold them. We have no Moses. We have no direction from God. And they did and said what people always do and say in the unknown. I guess we'll have to fix it ourselves. How many times have you fixed it yourself, but it wasn't fixed? How many times have you decided that God waited too long, God didn't give you enough information, and you went and took care of it, except it wasn't really taken care of? Two things we always react to that are in this first verse. First thing is, it took so long. God, it, it, they saw that Moses had been gone for so long. And the other thing is, we don't know. As for this fellow Moses, we don't know. Let's call it waiting and wondering. And we don't respond really well to waiting and wondering, right? Especially 
unknown waiting. How long will I have to wait? When will it happen? When will I get what I need? When will I feel safe again? When will I get a job? When will I find a relationship? When can I kind of crest this hump and relax and and de-stress and feel some peace and some hope? When will people do the right thing? When will I have what, what what I think is my key to happiness? When can I get there? And while we wait for human beings, if we're honest, and, and God's not listening right now, so we can just say this. Waiting feels like torture, doesn't it? And I thought God was supposed to love us. And He's tor- Why would a God who's good and loves us torture us by making us wait? It makes you start questioning. Fear brings that into our relationship with God. The unknown magnifies the strain. We don't know, wondering what will it look like? What is coming? Is it good? Is it bad? What do people think? What are people saying? What will happen to me? Is there anything good that can come from waiting and wondering? You probably have enough experience to answer that question from your own life. Is there anything good that can come from waiting and wondering? In your experience, maybe you've already learned this truth. It's not so much the waiting or the wondering. It's how you decide to look at it. It's whether or not you believe God is trustworthy. or Whether whether or not you believe there's a lot to be afraid of. Here's the process we know so well. The unknown brings fear. The unknown almost always brings fear. And fear makes us forget what we know. You know, remember when God said, don't make an idol? I don't remember that. Fear makes us want the known, the familiar, even if it's ridiculous. How many people do you know that are in relationships they should never have been in and should not still be in, but are in because it's the known and the familiar? It's ridiculous. And yet we do it all the time. We look for the the, the simpler, the normal. Can't things just get back to normal? Because normal was so good. Very soon, the children of Israel are going to be out in the middle, uh, wandering around the the wilderness, and they're going to say to to Moses, oh, if we could only go back to Egypt. This is what fear does. If we could only go back to to slavery. Oh, that was, wasn't that the best? Oh, that was the best. Remember, we... Not, they don't talk about like, remember when we had to get up and work all day for no pay? And Remember when we used to sit around pots of meat? Oh, it was the best. That's what fear does. Fear causes us to distrust. And, and we look for the known, the, the, the normal, the, the familiar. We assume that what we want would be good for us. Please don't miss this. This is what fear does. We assume that what we want would be good for us. And a God who doesn't give it to us must not be doing good. And then in the waiting and the wondering, we stew in bitterness. I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have trusted God. I knew God didn't care about me. I knew God wasn't real. I'm telling you this because I believe with all my soul this trap will be laid out in front of you over and over and over again this year to let the unknown bring you to fear, to make you distrust God and make you allow fear to run your life. Unknowns will make you wish 
for a God that you understand. Unknowns cause you to say, everything could be okay if I could just have a God that I understand. If I could just take the God of the nebulous dark cloud in the mountain that I don't know what he's doing and I don't know what he's saying and I don't know what we're supposed to do and I could just make him into a golden calf that we could carry around. A God that I understand. You don't really want a God you can understand. (laughs) That's way too small for your problems. Here's how I know that. If your understanding were the key to fixing your problems, you wouldn't have any problems. Think about that. If your understanding were enough, you'd be set. How many of us are completely set? Because our understanding is not big enough. It's not great enough. It's not good enough. We need a God who is outside of our understanding. And so Israel comes to Aaron, make us an idol. Make us gods. So pick up with me, verse 2, down to verse 4. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your son, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now that word gods it's a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, it's the word Elohim, which is plural gods, but it's also the word in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. There is this suggestion of plurality. Let us make man in our image. The, the Trinity is reflected all the way back in the very first verse of the Word of God. And so when they say, these are your gods, they're actually saying, this is your God. This is that God we talked about that created everything. Here he is. We just made him. Doesn't he look nice? This is your God. The one that brought you out of Egypt, he didn't exist then. Now he exists. Now he's right here because we just made him and he's really cool. This is what humanity always does. We see a problem, whether it's real or something in our heads, and we come up with solutions that don't solve anything. We trade real answers for human guesses. We trade real power that's been offered to us by Almighty God for a little bit of the illusion of control. We trade real hope that will last forever for, can it just be nicer right now? We think we're upgrading, but we're always downgrading. When we, when we decide that faith is not the way we're going to live, not the way we're going to walk, we're going to walk by sight, it can feel like an upgrade, but it really will always be a downgrade. Aaron says to them, here is your God. How in the world is that a God? Well, here's how that's a God. Because when life gets hard and life gets troublesome and we don't know what's coming, all of the uncertainty and all the unknowns, what we try to do is create certainty. And one of the ways that people of faith try to create certainty is to take God who is unknown, a God who, who is far beyond what we can imagine, and bring Him down to size. A God we can take where we want to take Him, when we want to take Him. A God who will say what we want Him to say. He is controllable. He is visible. When life gets stormy, every one of us would prefer a visible God. And we go to God and we say things like this, God, please make sense to me. I need to see. Show me. 
I need to see. Because I'm, I'm hanging on by a thread here. My faith is hanging on by a thread. God, I need to see. Now, I want to say this. In the intervening chapters, God is giving Moses the plans for a physical space, a physical building. Curtains and walls and poles and furniture and gold candlesticks and tables and the Ark of the Covenant and altars and all kinds of physical ways they are going to respond. There is something about physical that we as humans need. As you sit here this morning, you recognize that there is something about physically being together that you can't get when you're not together. There just is. And I'm not saying everybody, you know, people all have to make their choices about what's right for them or whatever. I'm just saying the fact of the matter is we are humans who need physical realities. God knows that. God understands that. And God is giving Moses a way to represent that. The problem is Israel's not far off, but they're doing it how they choose to do it. They're doing it in direct opposition to what God told them to do. Instead of trusting that God will show them what they need to see, and by the way, they're still seeing God's presence, they decide they need to see it a different way. They need to see it in a different form. They need to see it in something that impresses them. This year, when you don't know, when you can't see, when you're confused and your heart is, God, please make sense to me, just come back to this. God knows what you need to see. And God knows what you are better off not seeing. What God has shown you today is enough for today. You don't need more in order for God to be good. In fact, what you have is exactly a reflection of the fact that God is good. You can trust that God stubbornly will refuse to show you more than would be healthy for you to see. Because He loves you. What you see now is what you need to see. It's not that you don't need to see anything, but you need to trust that God knows exactly what you need to see. Before we go on to the, the last little bits of this part of the story, I just want to say one other thing. Aaron is going to be the worship leader for Israel for the rest of his life. Seems like he's pretty good at it right from the get. But the first time he leads them in worship, it's all wrong. He leads them exactly wrong. Sometimes, when you are freaked out, you will be tempted to take the things that God has given you for His glory, for His kingdom, for eternal purposes, and use them for a temporary fix. Use them to, to save your own skin or make yourself feel better or, or to serve your own desires. Fear will cause you to take things that God has given you for a great purpose and use them for almost nothing. That's what Aaron does here. Downgrading may feel good for a moment, but you're not going to like where it takes you. All right, verses five and six. When Aaron saw this, that is the cast and, and, and the, the calf and uh, the people saying, These are your gods. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Now, what do you notice about the word Lord? It's all capitalized. That's a typo. That's, people just made a big mistake in the Bible. No. That's on purpose. In the Old Testament, there were two names that were both translated into English Lord. One of them is Adonai, 
which is a word that slaves would use for a master or people would use as a term of respect for someone who's in charge, Lord, Adonai. The other is the proper name of God. Back in Exodus earlier, when, when Moses is called to go to Egypt, he says, hey, give me your name, God, so I can tell Israel who you are. And God gives them his name, Yahweh. Whenever they translate Yahweh, it's capitalized. L-O-R-D. So notice, Aaron says, tomorrow there will be a festival to this golden calf, Yahweh. Very, very interesting. Verse 6. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. What's going on here? Why in the world would Aaron take God's name and use it in vain? I mean, literally, the third command, he's just trouncing all over it here. That's what he's saying. Don't take my name and put it on things that aren't mine. Christians, we do it all the time. I think a lot of that got done this year on things that had no, nothing to do with God. We wanted just our position to be right. So we took God's name and we attached it to our agenda and we said, so now you have to believe it. That's what Aaron's doing here. We don't want to feel wrong. We don't want to feel guilty. We don't want to feel unsure. So what we do is we take God's name and we attach it to what we want to attach it to because we want a God who agrees with us. We want a God who's behind us, who supports us, who follows us. Aaron didn't make a new name. Oh, this is Caffey, your new God. He didn't make a new name. He used God's name on that calf so that no one could argue with him, so that it didn't feel like what he was doing was wrong, so it didn't feel like he was betraying God. He was doing it because he was playing a game, and all of Israel was playing a game like God approved of this. But God did not approve of this. It seems like they're telling themselves, this is actually the Lord God, but they're not acting like it's the Lord God because they've heard what the Lord God has told them and they're completely ignoring it. But it's okay because we're doing offerings. We're doing sacrifices. It's okay. See how spiritual we are. See how we're worshiping. And then we're going to party. We're going to eat and drink. We're going to indulge our appetites because fullness is the key to happiness, right? They just slap Christianity. They just slap the name of God right over their own agenda. Fear is going to tell you this all year long. Take God and use Him for your plan. Take God and slap His name on what you want and make sure it's okay and make sure you don't feel guilty. Make sure God bends to your will. Don't worry about God's will. Make sure God bends to your will. Because if you have to bend to God's will, unhappiness, sorrow, misery. But if God bends to yours, euphoria, utopia, it's awesome. This is how fear warps us. As though we have the right or that it is good for us to tell God to fall in line behind us. The last word there is revelry. And that word has sexual overtones to it. It's almost like they said, here's how this God, our God, the Lord God, Yahweh, here's how we worship Him. We throw off all restraint sexually and we just indulge our sexual appetites because that's what God wants. It sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? It's church after church in our world feels the pressure to, to buckle to say what God says isn't what He says. And we don't have to follow His way. We can create, we just mark out our own way. 
however we want to go. We'll just put God's name on it, and then you can't argue with it because God is love, right? Ignores the fact that over and over in Scripture, the sexual appetite that God has given to us is presented as something to bring under control, not something to surrender control to. It is not your identity. That is the biggest lie that has been repeated billions of times as though you have a sexual identity. You have a sexual appetite that was given to you by God. And you are called to bring it under control. Not because sex is evil, but because it's a great good. Matter of fact, one of the first commands God gave was a sexual command. Be fruitful and multiply. Nothing wrong with sex, but giving yourself over to sexual desires is always a recipe for disaster. And you read the Bible, and you find it again and again, don't you? From Abraham to Judah to King David... All through the Scriptures, again and again, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Paul in Thessalonians and Paul throughout his letters again and again teaches us this same truth. Fear makes us want to control God instead of allowing God to lead us. Many people reject God because they want a God who agrees with them. Many Christians come to a crisis of faith because they want a God who agrees with them, a God who makes sense to them. And fear tells you, if you can't sort that out, throw it all away. When God says something that doesn't feel good, He must not be good. But I'm telling you this morning, this is a battle line we have to fight, believers. Because when God says something that doesn't feel good or doesn't make sense, it's really an invitation to faith. To face our fear without giving into it. Believers, we can walk by faith. We have power from God Almighty, but it comes to us as we trust Him. We have power to overcome. We have power to serve eternal purposes. We have power to know what it means to be saved, to be healed, to be whole, to have peace, to have joy, to have hope. We have power for these things. But we are getting swallowed up because we live in fear and we never fight it. We believe fear makes us wise. And those who aren't afraid are foolish. We get stuck living just like there is no God, or like we are in control of our God. We have to fight this battle. We must reject a life driven by fear. Today, if you find yourself waiting and it's killing you, if you find yourself wondering and you feel lost, if you feel crushed, if you are stressed, if you are worried, if you are weighed down, I want to leave you with these verses and then we'll close and be gone. They are verses that are kind of my life verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Let's pray. Father, we come right now asking You to be the one in charge of our lives. For You to be the one who directs our paths. We get lost so easily We get turned around, we get upset, we get unsettled because we keep trying to fix things and we can't. We come up with solutions that don't solve anything. We let fear drive our lives and some of us have been enslaved by fear. 
So today, Father, I pray for your power to be poured out through our faith, that fear would melt off of us, that we would shake free of those chains, that we would stop living under the thumb of the enemy and this tool that he's been beating us over the head with for so long. Let us live as people who are free, people who have hope and confidence because our God is faithful and our God is true and nothing is too hard for him and nothing is too big for him and he will never fail and he will always win and we can know it to the depths of our soul. So Father, as we look into this year and all of the unknowns of it, help us in our souls to make this choice right now that we will not give in to fear. We will not allow fear to make us feel strong or wise or in the know. But instead, we will look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We will put our lives in your hands again and again and again. Father, give us that kind of hope, that kind of confidence, that kind of direction for this year. Do it in the hearts of your people. Do it in the hearts of your church. Father, we want to follow you this year by faith. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.